All right. Hey, welcome to the Big Ticket Life. I've got an amazing guest with me this week. Every podcast host says that. They're, all their guests are amazing. But the reality is we do a lot of work to have really great people come to you. This week, we've got Quentin West, who uh, really is in the real estate game. Uh, somebody that I would say is definitely doing life and business on his terms. Uh, Quentin, welcome to the show, man. Happy to have you here. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate you having me and hope we can provide some value to your audience today. Yeah. So, um, so this show, uh, we are digging into, you know, I guess the word arbitrage would be the, the word of the day, right? Which kind of seems like Absolutely. That, that might be like one of those good quality sixth or seventh grade spelling bee words. Yeah. Um, because people might look at it and say, what the, what the hell does arbitrage even mean? So let's just kind of jump into that. Like explain the, explain the concept. Uh, and then let's get into what you're doing with it. We'll talk about your family if you're all right with that and maybe yeah. some hobbies you're doing. And then, and then like how you're kind of living outside the lines of the real estate game, outside the lines of life, doing, doing life and business on your terms. Yeah, absolutely. So arbitrage is basically, and, and it's not just specific to what we do in Airbnb. It's basically where you take one service and you uh, purchase it for one price, add your margin on top of it, and then either lease it or sell it for a higher rate. So a lot of people do this in the service-based industry. Uh, if they're doing web design or things like that, they'll sub out the work to another contractor for cheaper and then sell it to the end customer for a higher rate. What we do in Airbnb, we rent the property for sixteen hundred to two thousand a month is our average rental rate, and then we'll lease that property anywhere from one hundred and forty to two hundred fifty dollars per night, and then we take that spread after all the our utilities, our rent, um, cleaning costs, things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. Um it's, it's one of those things, as, as you explain it that way, it, it just goes to show that there's there's not much new under the sun. Absolutely right? not. Yeah, people um, have been doing this forever. <laughs> yeah, like the concept's been around forever. And as yeah. you said, I'm like, well, duh, of course, of course that's what it is. But um, but the reality is it takes smart people to, to kind of go after it, put it together, run it. Um, because you can, uh, I would imagine pretty quickly, you can not cover that spread. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely possible. And that's why we have kind of nailed down our technique and our numbers, uh, so that in our market, we know exactly what we're looking for. We can be confident going into a new property. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting as you're explaining it, I just saw this might be a little tip for our listeners and you know, maybe even for you, but, um, there's, there's arbitrage in billboard advertising. Yeah. So in my retail business, I just started uh, locally with blip billboards. And okay. as best I can understand their model, they they would contract with, you know, companies that own billboards and, and do traditional billboard advertising. They contract with them as best I could see it for a monthly rate. And then they sell out their empty space so we put in our advertising in their portal yep. and then it just gets, it gets dropped in, uh, in those open spots, you know, cause most billboards anymore, new ones at least are being built digitally. Um, so they'll rotate out every eight seconds or so. 
Uh, oh yeah, they get they get a lot more ad space versus the old school way of making a big old twenty foot by fifty foot banner and yeah. printing it and getting some guy to put his life in his hands and climb a hundred feet in the air. <laughs> That's done, right? That's done. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, it's a really neat concept. So I mean, anybody that does advertising and you've got you would think a billboard message. Uh, could run. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll share. We, I think we're up to like 2,300 uh, show times showing and we've spent like $65. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's really great. Um, you know, I always like the kind of scheme and, and, you know, we do this show audio and video. So it always pays to watch the video because you get tonality, body language, facial expression. I always like the kind of scheme I'm making the, the little evil doctor, uh, <laughs> from the minions hands with Dr. Evil hands right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, if you want to, uh, in a way, if you kind of want to put one across somebody's bow, if there's a reason for that competitively, look, yeah. billboards is fantastic for that. Just fantastic. Cause you can okay. put their address in. Yeah. It's, it's really a neat, it's a neat thing. And this topic of arbitrage, it's, it's yet another example. So, uh, you're the guest. Let me have you do some talking. How'd you get into this? Explain your journey in life. Exactly. So I'm actually a college dropout. I thought I wanted to be an aerospace engineer. Um, I had a class in high school where we would work on planes and um, it's a really cool class and I love doing it. And I've always kind of been uh, interested in airplanes and aerospace. Um, and my parents, of course, were always pushing me to be an engineer. So it just kind of lined up. So I went to Virginia Tech. Uh, I was there for a year and a half and I just realized that I hated it. Uh, college was not for me. Um, during class, they would say things like, you know, if you work really hard for the next four or five years, you get out, you can get a $60,000 a year job. And that never really uh, made sense to me. Why would I put in all this work to just make 60000 a year? Yep. Uh, and, you know, I was struggling to get by in, in college. Um, we were going through our, our coding classes and things like that. And I was having to you know, get extra help from the teacher, from other classmates. Um, so I finally dropped out after a year and a half. I went and worked with my parents uh, for another year and a half. And my ultimate goal was to buy real estate. Um, when I was 19, my dad had a friend that passed away and he pushed me to purchase his home. Um, so I actually got into that house for around $16,000. And I was mm. that kid that worked over the summer, sold candy bars, did whatever I could to save up money. So I had this nest egg of about 18 grand saved up. Um, and at the time, you know, 16,000 of, you know, the money, the 18,000 that I saved up over all these years was a hard pill to swallow. Uh, but yeah, he was pushing 90%. me to buy. Yeah. I mean, it, it just didn't make sense to me at the time. I was a 19 year old kid. Um, but I purchased the house. I went and, you know, did some painting myself, fixed it up as best I could and I ended up renting for seven fifty a month. And I got a lot of cash flow off of that over the next few years, of course, because I, I paid cash for it. Um, right. And then uh, I started working for my parents uh, doing construction. And I had a couple close calls. I hit a power line with a crane and uh, almost died doing that. And just had a lot of, you know, it was scary on the job. Uh, a lot of people <laughs> not doing what they should be, uh, almost hitting me with excavators, you name it. Um, and at the time I was getting this cash flow from that house. So I was like, I kind of like this. 
you know, I can, I haven't even been to the house in over a year and every month I'm getting right. 750 a month. So I thought, you know, I, I think I'm going to go into real estate full time. And at that time, uh, the best thing that I knew to do to get into real estate was get my license. So, um, I remember I was studying for my, my test and, you know, my dad, he wanted me to, to work in the, the company. Um, and of course, you know, I, I felt bad for leaving him, but it was kind of a make or break it for me, you know, cause if I failed the test, then I knew I would, you know, be stuck working construction, which was not what I wanted my end goal to be. Uh, and I, yeah, if I, if I can just, if I could yeah, just yeah, say real quick, I think, I think if I were you, I would have said to your dad, dad, if I stay around this thing, this job's going to kill me. I've been damn near electrocuted. Yeah. Had somebody almost bury me with an excavator. I love real estate, yeah. but I think I got to be on a different side of it. So anyway, we're, we're, we're approaching the time to take your test. Yeah, absolutely. So we get up to the test. I passed the test. Uh, I think it was by one point. So I, I barely scathed over it. Um, <laughs> and then started working for Remax. Uh, I quickly excelled in there um, because I, you know, I'm just naturally a hard worker. I, you know, have these goals that I set and I'm, I'm pushing and doing everything I can uh, to hit them. I was walking in the rain, knocking doors and, you know, <laughs> going on properties that had no, no trespassing signs, <laughs> just trying to make a sale. Uh, right. So, you know, it was just naturally in me to, to put in the work and do what, these people that were more successful than me uh, were telling me to do. Um, so I made six figures my first year. I dumped every bit of that into buying houses. Um, I bought my first home. I moved into it. Um, that was a first sale I made. I purchased it with uh, 5% down, but I got 3% back as my commission. And then I got one and a half percent in closing costs from the seller. So I was in this house for like 1100 bucks uh, and wow. it was a foreclosure. So I was able to put some work into it and it built in about 33,000 in equity. So people started talking to me about a home equity line of credit. So I took out a home equity line of credit. Then and I had now 33,000 in cash. I bought two other houses. Um, and then somebody told me about Airbnb and you know, for me talking to him, it seemed super easy. So it's like, well, if this guy can do it, then I can do it. Uh, so I moved back in with my parents and started renting out my house for 2000 a month, uh, to this company that was coming to the area. And, you know, I was, I was cash flowing about 500 bucks a month with that home. And then with Airbnb, uh, it started going up to 3000, 3200, 3500. And I was cash flowing a thousand to 1500 bucks a month. So at that point, I realized this is something I need to double down on. So I turned my other two properties into Airbnbs. Now I had three to 5,000 a month in cash flow just from these three properties. And, and at that point, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And let me ask you, what, what date range are we talking about here? How many years ago is this? So this was three years ago. I bought my okay. first house, November of 2019. Well, second right. house, I, I guess you would say. Uh, I still had the other house, but it was in an area that I couldn't Airbnb. It was a, a worst part of town. But um, had those three houses. At this point, my credit was kind of maxed out, um, and I couldn't buy any more houses. But I wanted to 
get into more Airbnbs. Uh, so I was, you know, researching how to buy properties, no money down, all this kind of stuff. And one day I found somebody talking about arbitrage on YouTube where you rent a property and then you sublease it with Airbnb. So again, this was mm-hmm. another situation where I, I listened to the information and immediately took action. And it turned out the first landlord I ever called, we met the next week, had coffee. He signed a lease with me. And I didn't even have an LLC at this point. I mean, that that's why I tell people, I, I coach some other arbitrage hosts now. And I tell them it's, it's not as complicated as you make it. You know, just start right. reaching out. You can fill in the gaps along the way. Um, I think that's with, with everything. You, you don't have to know yeah. the the total start to finish process. You just need to get started. Um, yeah. And that house. There, go ahead. Yeah, there, there's a lot to unpack there. So um, yeah, let's kind of pause there because I want to. I really want to have our listeners and viewers really kind of understand all that you're talking about. So let's kind of take a step way back uh, and, and make a left turn in our conversation around education and what you realize sitting in college. Yeah. This is a, this is a common theme. This is something yeah. that uh, on a local personal level, uh, I'm really trying to affect change for kids in school right now, kids that are going to be going through high school in a few years to bring a focus for our local education and educational district, school district, weird way to say school, give focus to them, those students on skills and careers. Because as you said, you're sitting a year and a half in college. You're like, I got to work hard. I got to go into debt. If I don't go into debt, I got to work to pay off this tuition and room and board. And I'm going to make 60 grand a year. That's just not all that appealing to me. Yeah. So I'll ask you this. Do you, you, what's your view of our, our education system as it exists today against the opportunity to earn, create a living in today's society. So I think it's good for some people. Not everybody is going to want to put in the work and the stress it takes to build a business. Um, You know, 95% of people aren't going to do that. So I think it's good for those type of people that can't build their own opportunities. But if you, you know, if, if you want somebody to hold your hand, then college is for you. They'll walk you through exactly what you need to do to get a job. And then you have that security. If yeah. you are not happy with the standard employment system, working for somebody else, somebody telling you where you can vacation, somebody setting how much money you're going to make every year, you know, then college is not for you. It's a waste of time. And that's how I perceived yeah. it. I only went because my parents pushed me to go. That's what all parents teach, you know, go to college, get a good job, start your IRA or 401k. And, you know, and that's not a knock on mom and dad. No, that's not a knock on mom and dad. It's just, it's just what they were taught. It's the system. And then I think there's a, I think there's a two part parallel uh, existence in this conversation. There's one part, the educational system as it exists in the moment. And there's the society and culture as it exists in the moment. Yeah. And for a long time, those two paths really ran in a nice parallel line together until the age of about 22. And then your career path took off and you could leave education. Whereas today I look at it as those paths kind of crisscross like crazy. Um, as you said, you 
we're in an educational moment discovering that video on YouTube. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I- you, 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 you know, you took that path of education and career and like mashed it up into something that most people conventionally don't think about and took yep. that moment to improve. And we're, and, and right now I think the world is moving away from certificates and rewarding competency. Yeah. What yeah, are your absolutely. thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I think we are definitely moving towards competency. Like when I hire somebody now for our companies, I'm not looking at if they got a college degree, I could care less. It's an interview with them to see what their experience is in the workplace because a, a piece of paper doesn't tell me anything. You know, if, if we have somebody that's managing property, they can earn a sixty to $80,000 a year position just working for our company. They need zero college experience for that. But what I'm looking at is, can you manage people? Can you manage property? Can you manage problems? Can you manage 10 or 15 different uh, issues at one time, keep them on schedule, keep them on budget? So, and I, college does, definitely doesn't teach you how to do that. Right, right. Yeah, yeah it, it it seems to me that, and, and we can spend a little bit of time on this, but we don't have to spend all the time on it. It just seems to me that, yeah, we know, uh, and no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, I think we could all agree that governments and, and education is government. Um, people may disagree with that statement, but when you look at when you look at the connections of funding from the government yeah. to the ed- local educational system, it is government. We know right. government typically lags five to ten years behind, right? Yeah. Well, our world our world clips along at a faster and faster pace every year. And I think I think our educational systems are becoming antiquated, and you know I think we're in this um, you know rebirth of what an educational institution stands for and does in our society. You know yeah. where it's going to go in the future, I don't know. But what we just uncovered, what we just discussed, is that the need for that typical four-year degree is really almost—I don't know that it's—it's—it's it's, it's at a low point. It just isn't. It's maybe not the lowest point, but it certainly is on a downward trend. Would you agree with yeah, that? Definitely in value. I would definitely yeah. say that, uh, especially with you know, all the opportunity we have now uh, with cell phones and the education that's out there just for free. I mean, there are thousands yep. of businesses you can start. And I mean, the very first year, you can start most businesses that make fifty, sixty thousand 60000 a year. So yeah. if you have any kind of entrepreneur or bone in your body, you know, something that's going to tell you that, you know, going to school and getting a degree may not be the right decision. And as I look back at people that I graduated with, you know, you know it's nothing against them or what they're doing, but I see that they're struggling to get jobs or they're right. still living with their parents or they're, you know, five, six years behind where they should be. <clears throat> if they took action and, you know, did something that colleges aren't teaching you how to do, you know, they're working basic jobs, just trying to get by, pay a couple bills and, you know, move on. They're hoping that I guess they get a bigger opportunity, but you know, when I talk to them, I tell them, you know, the opportunity is not going to just come, you know, the opportunity comes whenever you're working towards something. It doesn't just fall on your lap. And that's what everything that I've, ever accomplished. It's when I was working towards something, even if I didn't know what the end goal, uh, sorry about that, was going to bring, you know, I was working towards something 
Uh, and eventually I fell upon something that continued to pay me for years to come. Yeah. Yeah. No, love all that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think we, we need to, and this is why I constantly talk about this and I bring it up because for me, I, I just want to, and, and a lot of people think I'm anti-college and I'm really not. What I am is uh, uh, I'm anti, you must follow this path and you must conform to that path. Because yeah, from a I personal agree. level, that mantra almost killed my firstborn son. Yeah. You know, ninth grade, the kid's suicidal because the pressure of education, he just isn't that kid. He is not a book kid. He is not a college kid. And yeah. now being six months, well, yeah, six months removed from graduating high school, he is a different human being entirely, yeah. entirely different human being down to, you know, getting that kid to clean his room was an act of Congress and, yeah. you know, you know, lobbing bombs in, in a pseudo World War Three in our home during high school years. Yeah. Now the kids as tidy as can be. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, he's out there hustling on his own, doing, he had some, you know, yard work hustle, landscape hustle, help you out with your home hustle, like little mild home improvement stuff. He went to career center for carpentry and construction. He's not in that trade presently because he, I, I think he found out he doesn't really enjoy it all that much. Yeah. But he's been hanging Christmas lights. He's He's got a whole list of people he can shovel snow with. He's on a path to make uh, management in Chick-fil-A, which... I think as a tremendous uh, is a tremendous add to his resume, you know, like you yeah. look for people who can manage what a great Absolutely. system to come up in, you know, and while his friends are going off to college there, some are going to excel and some aren't these next four years, he's going to be stacking money and he's going to be gaining yeah. real world hands-on experience. Yeah. And Absolutely. what I want to challenge yeah, what I want to challenge and why I bring great people on like you is I want to challenge people to think like folks like you exist, like you'll hire somebody, but you got to put in the work. Absolutely. Right? You got to put in the work to improve yourself and be that competent, that competent person. How, by the way, how old are you? 24. Gee whiz. <laughs> yeah, I know, when, you said, when you said you got into this three years ago, I'm like, three years ago. He was referencing college time. Like, wait a minute. So yeah, 24. 24. Oh my goodness. Man, to be 24 yes, where you're at, good on you, my friend. Good on you. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, all right. So we got the real estate uh, foundation set. And, you know, let's let's actually do this before we get back into, into what you do well and in, in, in the real estate thing. And I'm sure you do a lot of things well. Um. People might say, you know what? What do you mean it's easy to start a business? What do you mean no. you, you didn't have an LLC and you went and got that contract? Walk through what that's kind of like for people in case they've never heard that before. Because I know what you're talking about. But Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've got a couple of businesses. I've got a cleaning company, landscaping, Airbnb, and then I do some coaching. Uh, with any business I've ever started, uh, I was kind of proving the concept first before I put a lot of time into it. And I didn't realize that that's what I was doing and still until I started educating myself more on, you know, building businesses and your brand and things like that. Um, but that's exactly what I was doing. I, I, uh, you know, put in a little bit of time in the front end, tried to prove the concept 
And then whenever I knew I could make money at it, that's when I doubled down and continued to pursue it. Um, and I think the misconception is, you know, you, everybody has to have every bit of knowledge before they start. And mm-hmm. when I'm coaching people, that's the number one thing they have to get over before they see success. You know, they're, they want to have their LLC perfect. They want to have all their contracts in place. They want to have a website. They want to have, you know, employees. They're, they're trying to get employees before they even have the company, you know, making money. And it just doesn't make sense. They're putting all this effort and cost into something that they may not even enjoy and that may not even be profitable for them as a person because everybody has their strengths. Mine happens to be Airbnb real estate, putting deals together. And somebody, somebody else might have a strength of networking. You know, their strength is bringing people together, making, you know, profits on relationships, you know, linking people to like, like the arbitrage stuff, you know, like we Mm -hmm. do arbitrage with Airbnb there. I know a guy right now, his entire business is around taking software that he buys for $18 and he sells it at several thousand a month. But he made that relationship. Now he's arbitraging the software to other people in the marketplace because they don't have that relationship. That's his strength. And he's the middle, the middleman that, you know, makes sure everything's up and running and going. He couldn't survive in a business like mine. He just, he, for one, he doesn't enjoy working with people and, you know, it's just not his expertise. So before you put all that time and money into a business, I think you need to prove the concept, prove it works for you and make sure you enjoy it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, going back to my son as a reference, he was very inspired to get into that trade, the construction carpentry trade by my grandfather. Um, Because as a little little boy, we'd go visit and he'd work in his wood shop with them. And that's all great. And um you know, I challenged him to go maybe down the uh, HVAC or electrical path, um, just because I've seen I've seen the kind of incomes those folks can make. Because in my yeah. store, I see what I get charged when things break. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm talking to those guys. Um, yeah. and and you're and you're more inside. You're not you're not out in the elements. You're not baking in the sun, freezing, baking in the summer, freezing in the winter. But anyway. Um, yeah, proving that concept is really important. Um, you know, so all right, so somebody finds that passion, they love it. They're like, all right, I can make some money with this. There's a market here for it. Structurally, uh, and you know, we're not dispensing legal advice here, but I think a lot of people they get really hung up here, um, uh, you know, on setting up the legal entity. Yeah. Any any tips there that you could share of like maybe a good resource? Uh, where people could go. Yeah. I mean, if you want it done for you, then you can either hire an attorney to, to write it out for you, or you can use legal zoom. Uh, mm-hmm. Now I just go to North Carolina secretary of state and I can get it for you know, a third of the cost as paying somebody else to do it. Right. So, Cause legal zoom and lawyers are really doing arbitrage. Over yeah, exactly. the state. That's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. All they're doing is exactly what I'm doing now and then tacking on their fee. So, yeah, yeah. I have such a ingrained, uh, I don't know if I want to call it distrust, but 
government. And I just don't, I'm, I'm a very small limited government, like yeah. Liberty freedom, get out of my life kind of guy. So yeah. logging in, logging in, especially to Pennsylvania's portals, which are just yeah. awful, uh, is, is just something I don't do. So I'm, I'm willing and happy to pay the attorneys and the CPAs to go do it. But yeah, there, you know, for anybody listening and watching that, that is very smart. If you have the capacity to sit down uh, at the computer, go to your state registers office for an LLC for a, a tax ID number, if you need it, et cetera. Um, that is the place to go. Uh, and it's, oh, you know, yeah. The, fil- the filing fees are, are small, typically 50 to 100 bucks, maybe 200 bucks, depending on what number, or what licensure you need. Um, yeah, it's like 185 in North Carolina. Um, and mm-hmm. I mostly do it for speed of execution. You know, if I go to legal Zoom yeah. or an attorney, it's going to be at least a week before I get it back. Normally, right. if I go to Secretary of State, I can have it back in 24 hours. And see, you can even pay. See, right. Yeah. right there, difference between North Carolina and Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it definitely defers by state. And uh, California, I think it's like a $500 fee just to set up an LLC. So yeah. it's definitely different. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so so to put a bow on that part of our time together, prove the concept. Make sure you really do enjoy it. Like, it, it serves your purpose, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, like my retail business, if, if you would have told me 30 years ago, Jeff, you're going to do very well selling mattresses to people in that business. I'd be like, you're crazy. Yeah. But the the skills I have to take a commodity product and make it an incredible five-star experience and change people's lives so they can reduce pain, which I deal with tremendously from you know yeah. motorcycle accidents and construction work and wrestling and football from days gone by. Um, so I can speak to the power of restorative sleep. Like that's what yeah. I love. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So, go ahead. I was going to say, some people might, you know, I, I say find something you enjoy. Some people might say that, you know, nothing they've tried, they enjoy. So, any business that I'm in, there are parts that I don't enjoy, but I enjoy mm-hmm. the overall process as a whole. And, you know, tasks that I don't enjoy, I try to delegate for the ones that I can't delegate. You know, that's just part of doing the business and uh, it's a necessary evil. So, you know, everybody's not going to enjoy every part of their business. If if they are, then they're probably not making much money. Yeah, we're going to make a right turn now in the conversation. We'll get back to the houses in a minute. But on this topic of finding joy, finding passion. So I I was listening to another podcast um, and the, the guest was saying that what they're super well but mark zuckerberg on the rogan podcast uh yeah. is where i heard this and you know super obviously very wealthy individual super successful right and he was asked you know what keeps you going now at this level of success and he framed it around i think in projects so he he yeah. laid out the handful of projects he's working on with his wife the foundation that he has etc uh maybe you agree with those projects maybe you don't doesn't matter but the concept of thinking in projects, I think, was very smart because as you get going, you you know, that project might be, well, I want to buy a house for my family because I want to be the first person in my family line to own a house. Yeah. Or I want to be set up to get my kid to college because my child does want to be a doctor 
which hundred percent, you need college education for that. Um, thinking in those projects, I think is, was really eye opening for me. And it kind of really reinvigorated me, uh, this summer when I heard that, um, it was really like really impactful for me to hear it said in that way. So I'll ask you what, what are those projects you're working on and how are you using the work you're doing to fuel them? Yeah. So I think, I think very similarly to that, uh, I've used, you know, chapters or stepping stones, you know, instead of projects, but anything that I do, you know, I, I don't plan to do it forever uh, unless it's something I really love and enjoy. Uh, like when I, you know, started, uh, working construction, I knew that wasn't my end job. You know, it was a stepping stone to the next thing. Uh, when I got my real estate license, my end goal was to own real estate, but that was the, the, the doorway to get in, to learn about it, to, you know, just, you know, I, I knew if I got my license and I was doing it every single day, I would grow knowledge and <clears throat> it would help me to get to the next step. Uh, and then the Airbnb stuff. I don't want a thousand units of Airbnbs. That's way too much headache for me. It's just, I don't love it that much to where I want to build it to that scale, but it's a stepping stone to the next thing. So now I'm working on coaching, which I really enjoy coaching and I can do it at an immense scale. I can teach hundreds of people at one time how to get into Airbnb. I see the way it changes their lives, but I know that this is only a stepping stone to get to higher end stuff like speaking, speaking engagements, events. So if I get used to speaking to, you know, a thousand people in a webinar or a couple hundred people in my class, I know that I can do that in a, a larger setting in front of, you know, several hundred people in person at an event. So yep. I, I do see things in projects or, or chapters, however you want to phrase it. Um, you know, I, I just continue to push until I find something that, you know, I see I'm going to enjoy forever. My end goal is to have 10,000 units of multifamily real estate. I just know that mm. all these things that I'm doing now are building up to that. I started working on my brand recently, posting more on social media, you know, building my Instagram, Facebook presence, my Facebook group. All these things are building up to that because you can't get 10,000 units like Grant Cardone without right. more people knowing of you. Right. Well, I mean, what you're laying out there is very smart and I hope people listen to it um, because we live in a world right now where there's so much flash. Yeah. There's so much, you know, razzle dazzle. It's, it's, it's all this look at me through your phone on social media, but nobody sees the work. Uh, Nobody, what, what you laid out there, very smart. It's a little learning lesson in and of itself. Um, And it is, it's all, it is also, so it's such a dichotomy of maybe how your parents were raised or maybe even your grandparents were raised being that you're only 24, your grandparents are still around. I would imagine. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, through their lens, you know, to say at 24, I don't look at things long-term is probably such a, a mind warp for them because their basis of being brought up was you're going to find a career, you're going to work it for 20, 30 years. You're going to get the big retirement party, the pension, the gold watch. Yeah. And, and life's going to be grand, right? It's just, but 
the younger generations are right in your frame of mind. Well, idealistically, that's where they're at from a, yeah. from a work ethic. Some are and some aren't. Um, but you're doing it. The, that path is so smart. I, I love hearing it. And I love that you have the goals. So many people don't have those goals written down. I want 10,000 yeah. units of multifamily real estate. That's really, yeah. really smart as opposed to saying, well, I, I just want to make, you know, 10 figures a year, yeah. which is probably what you would be making if, you know, when you hit that number, but you yeah. have it very clearly laid out. Really smart. Uh, really, really like it. Um, so you're doing the Airbnb arbitrage, um, which I really love that we kind of had that granular topic, but it spread out to a few different things. So yeah, builds a base. Uh, as we, I'm sorry, I said it builds a base for sure to figure out how I got here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I also like the fact that, you know, you said you want to accomplish these stepping stones. So as you work up, as you see yourself as a speaker, as a coach with uh, at scale, you know, that's very different from where I think a lot of folks, I shouldn't say a lot. Some folks jump in and say, well, I'm a coach, but they have no basis. Yeah. They have no foundation. Yeah. I never knew I wanted to be a coach. You know, it. I started doing really well in Airbnb and I had all these people in my community start reaching out to me. Can I, can I get lunch with you? Can I do this? Can I buy you coffee? And after about 20 mm -hmm. lunches and coffees that I did for free, and then they didn't even take action on it. I realized, you know, I've got a skill that I can sell and mm -hmm. people will pay a lot of money for it. And yeah. not only will they pay for it, but they'll get a lot of value from it. You know, right. like I taught my parents how to do Airbnb arbitrage. And my dad got two units after about 30 or 60 days of just like calling me. Like I didn't do any serious coaching with him. Uh, but I helped him get over any problems that he needed to get over. I gave him my scripts yeah. so that he could, you know, cold call landlords, things like that. But he ended up getting two properties. And within 30 days, he had a $40,000 wire, you know, from a, a movie production company that rented his two properties. It paid for wow. every cent that he put into those two properties. So yeah. he had no money in it now. Now he's cash flowing three to 5,000 a month on those two houses. So That's, it's just ridiculous the the difference that Airbnb can make in somebody's life. You know, with one decision and a little bit of investment, he's now added an entire new, uh, you know, full time income source. Basically, I mean, if you yeah, look at the average yeah, person's 100%. income, they're not making three to five thousand a month, especially not passively. Right. Right. No. Yeah. Uh, very. Very. Very smart. Um, very smart, man. I've loved our time together today. I think we covered quite a few different topics. Um, how do people get a hold of you? Yeah. So I've got Instagram, uh, it's Q deals homes, and then they can see me on, uh, just my website, real com. And I've got Facebook Quentin West. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Man, I've really appreciated our time together. Thank you for joining me. Um, really love it. Oh, you know what? As we part, I didn't even get to talk about your family. Yeah. So I'm married. Um, my wife, Bethany. I've got two kids. One is nine. Uh, the other is 10 months. Wow. It's a big yeah, so spread. You're very busy. 
Yeah. So yeah. what do you, uh, what do you hope to, uh, to give them? Uh, the biggest thing is legacy and peace of mind. So I, I want them to work. I, I don't like to spoil, uh, my kids. Um, I want them to learn how to work. Like I was taught how, uh, because growing up, you know, we, we were blessed. We, we had good money. Uh, but my dad didn't just give us stuff. He gave us yeah. goals to, to set for ourselves, uh, so that we would reset goal and then have, you know, whatever we were wanting, whether it was money or a new skateboard or whatever it was at the time that we wanted. Uh, so I want to pass that on to them, make sure they know how to work. Um, and then the legacy side of it, you know, like the Rockefellers did with, you know, their self-directed uh, insurance policies where they built their mm -hmm. their legacy and their long-term wealth. Uh, I want to be able to set something up like that for my family so that my grandkids, great-grandkids still have something that is passed on for me. And it changes that, that family tree. Yep. Very smart. Love the, again, love the clear vision. That's uh, I think that's one of the biggest things I see from all the people I talk to. Uh, the super successful people have that real clear, defined vision. I mean, you're talking about three, four generations ahead of Absolutely. Clinton West descendants. Um, yeah. Really smart, man. And I love it. Love it. Uh, so, man, this has been great. Really appreciated your time on the Absolutely. show. Yeah, thanks for stopping by and uh, everybody else. We'll see you next week on The Big Ticket Life. Take care. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Big Ticket Life. You've heard from another amazing guest living their own Big Ticket Life. And now it's time to live yours. First, I'd love for you to take me up on my free gift to you. Find your gift at gift.thebigticketlife.live. That's gift.thebigticketlife.live. See all your life, you've been told what is and what is impossible by the loudest voices from the cheapest seats. It's time to finally do life and business on your terms. Sure, you've heard similar things, but without clarity on what can be done, it's easy to have your customers, employees, maybe even partners, and your spouse keep you from truly living a big ticket life. My big ticket methods shift you into that investor seat in your business, away from commodity and away from competition into a market of one so you can finally live your own big ticket life. So my gift to you is for you to book your discovery call today where we'll uncover first the Chivo behaviors, those chief everything officer behaviors that hold you back and why moving into the investor seat in your own business is critical. Two, we'll uncover the premium position that's up for grabs right now in your market that you're missing out on. And three, which big ticket methodologies are just waiting to be dropped into your business to explode your sales and profits. So again, thanks for listening to this episode. I'd love for you to take action right now. Accept this gift. Book your call. Go to gift.thebigticketlife.live. Again, that's gift.thebigticketlife.live.